0: Thank you for joining us on Time Out with the Lord with my pastor, Dr. Mrs. Senye Obi-Lulu Briggs, who ministers at the Chapel of God International Worship Center. Today's episode will uplift your spirit and edify your soul. Father, we thank you
1: for... Everything that you are doing in our lives, we recognize you as our God, the only true God, the wise one, the lover of our souls. It is your plan from beginning that a day like this will come and your children will gather at your feet to get to learn to know more about you. We are very grateful, Almighty God. Indeed, your word is very precious. We appreciate what you're doing. We learn from your word, especially your promises on which our faith stands father we thank you we bless you the scripture says you saw me before i was born every day of our lives was recorded by you and every moment was laid out father where can we go from you we are so mindful of the fact that you are the ultimate one that knows all things everything and so father we come to you in total humility For indeed we had nothing but in you we have everything we thank you because you know what is best for us and so we are gathered before you that we may hear your word and we may take in those words that you are sending our way to address those peculiar situations in our lives in our spiritual growth in our physical life in our relationships with one another how we serve you lord you know all things and we trust that the words that we are going to hear today or sending our way will cause us to be more of us, better, better children of God, becoming what you indeed planned for us to become. Lord, we just thank you. We pray for our brothers and our sisters that are here to join us. We know that you are preparing them, you are talking to them, and they will join us. And together we will share the joy of this day, the joy of being in your presence. Lord, we will not go the same way we came. For in your presence, there is joy, there is beauty, there is bounty. We receive our blessings today. Thank you, Almighty Father. In Jesus' precious name we have prayed. Amen. Our study passage is taken from the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 22. We are to read from verse 1 to verse 15. And the key verse is verse 6, which says, Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. This passage contains, as usual, many moral and spiritual virtues which parents must imbibe in themselves and show and also direct their children thereby. Verse 1 starts with a good name. A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches, and loving favor rather than silver and gold. Now when you look at this verse in the context of the wise king, Solomon, the way he put it in the opening verse of the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 1, it talks about vanity and vanity and vanity. The book of Ecclesiastes gives us, I would say, more examples of life because he uses life examples that book was written after King Solomon had done a deep research into life and so here we are seeing example of a good name being chosen rather than riches and favor rather than silver and gold we see a better explanation this is quite clear of course but then one will say, well, I like gold, I like riches, I like uh, silver, you know. But the real understanding of this is if we compare the good name and look at it in comparison with sweet-smelling perfume. Now, in those days, they used st- very strong perfume to preserve the dead. You know, they use it on the body. So, throughout the period, you know, the, there's no decay. There's, it's, it's, in fact, you appreciate the smell. A good name is more lasting, you know, than perfume, very strong perfume that is used in preserving, you know, the body. What lasts, what remains after eventually, eventually the body, you know, is put to the ground and decays? Is just the good name. However, on that day, all you'll be perceiving is the aroma, is the smell. You know, that's all people who go for the funeral, that's all they are perceiving. You know, but what lasts longer than that period is the good name that such a person has. Riches, they are here and they are gone tomorrow. If truly we appreciate the context in which these uh, proverbs these nice words are uh, are given to us will understand that god has greater interest now the remembrance of the good name that we are talking about that lasts it's in the eyes of men that's the first thing because when somebody passes on you know they tell you that the good deeds that you have done is what you will be remembered by on the other hand If you were a very rich person, a politician maybe, with authority, with power, with so much wealth, you will be known during that period. Now, a time comes, whatever you had reduces in value, or the Bible tells us, canker, one will eat it, one thing or the other will happen. And the only thing that will be remembered by people, you know, will be, ha, he used to be so, 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 so. He used to, he was this and today they look at you, some don't even greet you. You lose everything. Now we seem to care about how to be good in the eyes of men. If relationships with men mean so much, what about our relationship with God? Does God also care for our good name? Of course he does our relationship with God is so important to him. So, when we are trying to be kind, trying to be nice, trying to be good, let it not just be that we care about the good name that we possess here on earth in the in our relationships with men. Let us think further because God also is interested, in fact, he is more interested, you know, in our good name. The apostle Paul described our relationship with god in this manner in the book of second corinthians chapter 2 verse 14 to verse 16 But thanks be to god who in christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of knowledge of him everywhere for we are the aroma of christ to god among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing, to one, a fragrance of death to death, to the other, a fragrance of life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? Simply put, God smells Christ in us. That's the simple, simple translation. So what we are leaving behind, that thing we think that describes us to, to fellow men, let it be that it is Christ, for when he looks at us or when he, when he perceives us, when we pray, when we call on him, the aroma of Christ is what he should be perceiving, for we are covered in his righteousness, you know, and if God perceives Christ in us, we can be sure that people also will be smelling Christ in us the, actually, the first six verses of this um Book of Proverbs suggests that most human beings have their priorities wrong. That's what it tells us. You know, that is, we go after wrong things, and the things that last or will be more beneficial are not, you know, put first. We must not overlook the fact that our possession is what God handed over to us. Our possession. So when we look at wealth and riches <laughs> God gave them to us. Those things cannot make us to be amenable to God that we are wealthy, you know, or that we have one thing or even children. You know, those are not the things God considers when he's looking at you to place value in you because he gave you those things. It's not it's not that, you know, the point is, all these things, we give them back to him. We, we leave the world sooner or later. So what matters to God is not what you have. Because God only values what you are. And we see it in these verses. You know, Verse 2 is telling us exactly this indirectly. Verse 2, the rich and the poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. So, riches, poverty, you know, wealth, whatever, those things do not move God. They don't because he gave you the riches. The thing that differentiates one man from the other when we consider how much we have gathered is the wealth and it is God. So it's not what God uses to judge anyone. For some of us, God sees that being rich will be our undoing, and it is true for some. In fact, it has been said you know, of some people that being rich is actually a punishment. They believe it, and it plays out in their lives. Through the r- riches that they have acquired, they see their undoing come out from the so-called riches that they have. Now, verse 3 describes a, a prudent man. A prudent man foresees the evil and hides himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. A prudent man is described as someone in this book who protects himself against temptation. Because for you to be prudent, you must have, in a way, and then you utilize whatever it is in a prudent manner. You do not allow it... To to overwhelm you and you are not able to control it you are not deciding it is deciding for you the prudent person is able to protect himself against not just temptations against various pitfalls that are associated with riches the prudent person will guard himself you know knowing in advance that yes I have but if I'm not this careful this will happen there are certain things that the wise rich man will consider that the person that is not so rich will not need to consider so it's a call for us to be prudent in whichever manner we find ourselves the bible says money answers all things so the question now is how do we have this all-important useful tool that is uh, an answer to quite a lot of our problems and at the same time, find wisdom in the Word of God. How do we balance it? Well, there's an ideal in God's world and for a child of God, you know that you are in the kingdom of God. The kind of things that you are exposed to and the expectations of God, The principles that operate in that kingdom are quite different. So now we are in the world and we have so much. We are rich, we have acquired so much and I don't know if the rich people normally would sit down and ask themselves, why am I this rich? You hardly hear it, but in the kingdom of God, the rich ask themselves, Father, why have you blessed me so? And he responds. In the world you find only the poor actually shouting it out why am i poor why is my life like this the rich hardly ask why but a child of god you should ask yourself why do i have more than my daily bread if you ask the lord he will answer you god's ideal is not that some will be super rich and some will be poor. That is not God's ideal. Now we see in Acts of Apostles one of the results of the coming of the Holy Spirit. We see it that it is to give us this understanding. The answer is found in Acts of Apostles chapter 4 verse 34 and 35. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands and houses, sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. When was the last time we practiced such a thing? We cannot be demanding the miracles of old, whereas the practices of old are not even thought about. They are not practiced. But it's the same God, the same Christ, yesterday, today, and forever. He's our Savior. He's our Redeemer. And the hour there includes the ones that do not have at all. And it also includes the ones that have so many that are not even being used. The Lord is calling. He's speaking to someone. Verse 4. By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. This verse suggests two things. You can look at it either way. One, it suggests that wealth and honor and life are a recompense for humility and the fear of the Lord. Like when you, when you are humble and when you fear the Lord, then, you know, you get wealth, you get honor, and you get life. That is one explanation. However, it could also mean that real wealth and honor and life consist in humility and the fear of the Lord. Real wealth is when you have the fear of the Lord in you. Psalm 9 verse 19 The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold yea, than much fine gold sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb now what are those things we're talking about the fear of the lord the judgments of the lord those two you know they are more precious they are of more value so it's not that when you are humble you are giving these things but that the fear of the lord itself is that which has value which is the indestructible wealth you know, that you have. That's what it means, that when you fear the Lord, you have life already. Verse 5, thorns and snares are in the way of the forward. He that doth keep his soul shall be far from them. When you look at this, it's like it contradicts the statement of our Lord Jesus Christ in the book of Matthew, chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. In that place, it tells us that wide is the gate and broad and easy to travel is the path that leads the way to destruction and eternal loss. And there are many who enter through it. While this one is talking about thorns and snares are in the way of the forward, as if, you know, it's not an easy thing. Christ says, but small is the gate. And narrow and difficult to travel is a path that leads the way to everlasting life and there are few that find it now we see here we must realize however that a snare is something that is hidden from view so yes the way is wide it's broad just like the Lord Jesus Christ has said it but the snare is hidden from view; it's like a trap you know you only know a snare is there when you are caught in that in that trap and that's why christ tells us that a lot of people foolishly will go into that easy way it looks like easy but there are snares in it verse six is a key verse turn up a child in the way he should go and when he is old he will not depart from it i mean this is a verse we are so familiar with the point is One is never too young to learn. The lessons that we are teaching are the lessons uh, we have discussed in from verse 1 to verse 5. Nobody is too young to learn it. If you leave it all together to later in life, it will become more difficult to teach. Because at that time, the ways of the person would have been set already. So it is better to teach now. Now, the word to train in the Hebrew, that word means to narrow down. You know, tell the child the real issues of life. As a child, there are so many things, but let the child know what the real thing is. Do not look at it that, oh, it's a child. Maybe they cannot understand when they grow up. The Bible tells us otherwise. Begin to tell them now. Now that word could also mean to to dedicate. That is to turn it towards God's charge. This is such an important aspect of preservation of life. You preserve the life of the child. And you also preserve the life of future generations through that child. For we have seen how one man's act have brought total destruction to the life of future generations that come after them. It means that the training will definitely bear fruit along the line. When the child is probably brought up, he too or she will bring up the next generation in the way that they should go. And so if the training is started in time, it will become a habit, it will become the second nature of the child. Now, what the youth learns, age does not forget. That's the implication of this verse. So you teach them when they are young, when they grow up, they will not forget. So the teaching is done when people are young. And when you grow old, you will remember those things you learned along the way. Verse 7. The rich ruleeth over the poor. And... The borrower is servant to the lender. (laughs) We see here that money is often equated with power. That is to say, money has the ability to enslave. If you're a borrower, be very careful. If you are the lender, you're a Christian, do not enslave. Because you have given, you feel the power to enslave a fellow believer. But let that not be your portion. Jesus Christ warns us in the book of Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. It says, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Talking about money. And so what should we do? Yes, you have been blessed, you are a child of God, you have money. Yes, there are so much you are doing with what God has blessed you with. The blessings of God, they do not add sorrow. So if God has blessed you and you are a child of God, you surrender to God's authority. And when you have done that, it will free you from the power of money over the life of one that has the money. Surrender totally to the authority of God. When you do that, then the devil that rules inside money will not have any hold over you again. One thing we must know is that borrowing brings you into the power of another human being. So what do you do? Well, we can look at the advice of the apostle Paul to his son, Timothy. First Timothy, chapter 6, verse 6 to 12.
2: Yet, true godliness with contentment is itself great world. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. But you, Timothy, are a man of God, so run from all these evil things. Pursue righteousness and the godly life along with faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight for the true faith. Hold tightly to the eternal life to which God has called you which you have declared so well before many witnesses.
1: Now, we are seeing here, the mystery of godliness. It's not how much Bible you carry and not how much you smile and tell people God bless you. Contentment, just be okay with who you are. Be okay with what the Lord has done for you. And you know that God sending Jesus Christ to this world Is enough the fact that he came you see that knowledge keeps you going every other thing is not important anymore because if you carry that as the first thing in your mind the last thing in your mind that Christ actually came God actually manifested himself as man and he has come to justify you that is godliness if that occupies your mind and then you 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 believe That indeed he was seen by man. I mean we are not there. But we believe it. That what we are reading in Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. Are actually true occurrences. Happenings. And that he gave up himself. And God raised him up. And took him. All of this. For my sake. For your sake. That is contentment. And whatever he directs that you do. You do it. And you keep looking up to him because you know that sooner or later you are leaving this place anyway so it cannot be a matter of life and death most people will not calculate will not do anything they just go and fall headlong and then their faith everything they believe they start doubting God because truly he has not sent them but today we are seeing that godliness with contentment if you have come to know God in this manner Just be satisfied. Paul was advising his son. Now, again, in the book of uh, Deuteronomy, chapter 23, verse 19, we advised: if you lend, first of all, don't lend. Give, if you can, give. Okay? And if somebody comes in their need and wants to borrow with your good heart, lend to the person. And remove from your heart the fact that you have the power over such a person otherwise your good deeds will turn to become a snare and will catch you and you fall into Satan's trap if you lend do not lend like a money lender what do money lenders do they charge interest God says you gave your money let the person use it the person will give it back to you do not collect interest It's a simple instruction he doesn't want you to make profits over the suffering of another person. Because you are supposed to. You are called in the first place. To lend a helping hand. To raise such a person up. That's how you are called. That's what you are called to do. But if you give. Do not charge interests. That's the Lord's instruction. May God help us as we abide by it. In the name of Jesus Christ. Verse 8 of Proverbs he that sweats iniquity shall reap vanity and the rod of his anger shall fail. Money or whatever is being used as a tool to bind fellow men is wickedness. Acts of wickedness that eventually you believe will produce or increase your lots, and you believe that they will improve you, you get more profit, more benefits, more success. Meanwhile, they are not godly acts those acts ultimately will be will be a curse so to know whether your wealth come from blessings or come from curse, because even the people who are cursed they are wealthy we see them how you know it is the source of your riches so to have riches is actually not a curse but how we are rich How we are rich, how we get rich, determines whether we are blessed or we are cursed. Verse 9. He that had a bountiful eye shall be blessed, for he giveth his bread to the poor. Now, I want us to understand that generosity has nothing to do with the size of your possession. You are expected to give away part of what you eat. This is different from the surplus in your ban. Giving out the surplus in your ban is right. It's okay. But you do more when that which you have, which does not necessarily mean that it has satisfied you, but you are still willing and you actually share with somebody else that does not have at all. We see Paul's comments concerning the church, in 2nd Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1 to verse 5. Now, brothers and sisters, we want to tell you about the grace of God which has been evident in the churches of Macedonia, awakening in them a longing to contribute. For during an ordeal of severe distress, their abundant joy and their deep poverty together overflowed In the wealth of their lavish generosity. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave voluntarily, begging us insistently for the privilege of participating in the service for the support of the saints in Jerusalem. Not only did they give materially as we had hoped, but first they gave themselves to the Lord and to us as his representatives by the will of God, disregarding their personal interests and giving as much as they possibly could. Now, they wanted to be part of them that give support because the people in Jerusalem were being persecuted, the Christians, and they were running, they were hiding, and life was tough. So the churches overseas were contributing money. Now, this Poor people in Macedonia had very little, but they saw it as a privilege to participate in the service for the support of the saints that were in Jerusalem. So the grace to give doesn't necessarily go to the people that we see that have so much. Whatever is your lot, you remember the woman with her two mites, they were all that she had. But she wanted to be part of the giving. How could she go to the house of God? Where the priests were there, they were not working. They had no inheritance. How was there going to be food in the house of God? Because there are people, there are strangers that come. There are very poor people who come, who go to the house of God to seek help, support for one thing or the other. How could they turn back people that will come to them? She said, no, she had to be part of it. So that's what I'm trying to say. Generosity has nothing to do with the size of your wallet or the size of your possession. Just give away part of what you have, you know, and we see God's grace being abundant in your life. Some will say, I don't have the grace, but I'm telling you here that the grace of God is abundant and that grace is demonstrated. You know, in your life, as you begin to obey the spirit of God that will be pushing you, "Eh, do something, just do a little. He speaks with you. Do not brush the spirit of God aside. The grace of God is sufficient. Even in the church, in their extreme poverty, they sought to give. And God provided for them and they gave. Verse 10, cast out this corner, contention shall go out. (laughs) Strife and reproach shall cease. Of course. If there's someone who is in your midst that is mocking who makes light of what you are doing seriously you are there and the sole purpose is that you see that christ did not die in vain the sole purpose is that souls are turned to the lord you are preaching and men are repenting surrendering their lives to christ and there is a mocker in your midst that makes light of the word of god and is there to be a disruption always in disagreement with wrong attitude making mischief drive such a person out this is a case where reform is not what is needed but expulsion the Lord Jesus Christ recognizes this kind of situation and he spoke to us in book of Matthew chapter 18 verse 17 talking about conflict management actually It starts from verse 15. Talk to him first of all. If he refuses to hear, call other people. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. Simple. A heathen, a publican, a tax collector, someone who is totally against God, such you do not fellowship with the person i know some of us who love god more than jesus christ loves god will be saying "Eh, so can't we continue to preach to the person nobody says do not preach to the person but you don't have such a person as one of the brethren because there's definitely a contrary spirit that manipulates the person there's a contrary spirit that the person is an agent of and has agreed to become a source of disruption so that the work of God will not go on. You know, you treat him as you would a pagan. That's what the scripture tells us. However, I must try to expand it a little bit. As you are removing the satanic tool, you must make sure Satan himself is not there. The conflict, what is the conflict? It has to be resolved. And resolving the issue is usually disagreement over one thing or the other. And if it has to do with doctrine, for instance, then let the scripture be the guide. Above all, the body of Christ needs the Holy Spirit to rule as the spirit of love. We cannot just remove the tool and allow that which is festering to continue because tomorrow, it will reappear in a, in a different form. Satan is there to kill, to steal, and to destroy. He must not be allowed. And the only person that can beat him, that has beaten him, is Jesus Christ. And he has sent the Spirit, his Spirit, you know, to come and dwell in us, remain with us, so that we will have victory over all forms. And we do this by listening to the Holy Spirit, by his guidance, and also receiving into us the Spirit of love. We don't do anything with malice. We do things with love. And we're talking about the love of, of God, which is Christ Jesus in us. Verse 11. He that loveth pureness of heart, for the grace of his lips, the king shall be his friend. This is simple. He's talking about the liberated Christian. You and I, the one that has made his heart pure by the blood of Jesus Christ. The Lord himself, when he was teaching in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, he says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So it's an open thing. If your heart truly is liberated and you are not bound by any of the things that store themselves in the heart of man, if your heart has been circumcised, has been washed by the pure blood of Jesus Christ, then you are able to see God. And evil thoughts, all those things do not have any place in you anymore. It's the same Lord Jesus who told us in the same book of Matthew chapter 15. We see the opposite of the person that has a pure heart. Fifteen nineteen, For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts. So these things are stored in the heart. What are they? Murders adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, blasphemies. These things proceed, they come out from the heart. Now, when the heart is washed by the blood of Jesus Christ, it becomes pure. So when we are talking of murders and uh, adulteries, what we see, what we, we judge with our natural eyes are the actual acts of commission. But the Bible is telling us that it is not the commission. It is the contents. They are the contents of the heart. They remain in the heart. And such a person that carries such thoughts in the heart, that person is not liberated. That person's heart is not pure. That person cannot see God. Has no business appearing before any king. Our God is the king of kings now if you are born again those thoughts are washed away from you satan may want to try to plant back these thoughts in your heart but you know that you have been washed clean and that the power of the blood the efficacy of the blood that has washed you clean can keep you clean and you remain so so temptations that come They do come, but they do not find a place in your heart to attach themselves to. And that is why it is necessary for us to fill our hearts, you know, with the word of God. So there is no space for these things to enter and remain. It is when they remain that they proceed from there and they become actions. And God sees the heart like I always tell us. So may we not harbor any evil thoughts in the name of Jesus Christ. Verse 12, the eyes of the Lord preserve knowledge and he overthrew the words of the transgressor. Now, we have to understand what we mean by knowledge. Knowledge is more than information that we store in the head. It's more of awareness. Otherwise, if you are not aware of what you have read, it is just mere information, useless the same words that you have taken in, you are not aware of the potency of that information that you have received, then it is not knowledge as described by the scriptures. Knowledge is much more. It's the opposite of ignorance. It's as if you never knew it in the first place. True knowledge actually grows on the tree of life. The scripture is telling us that the eyes of the Lord preserves knowledge that is god pays attention to the way our knowledge of him expresses itself in our daily lives we 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 read about god we are taught you know we get to know more more of him now god's attention it's focused on how we utilize this knowledge of him in our daily lives and so the scripture is telling us that The eyes of the Lord preserves knowledge. He looks at it and he finds knowledge in us. How do we, how are we utilizing it? He's actually very much interested. And the part B talks about those who do not know God. They do not know what they are talking about. So knowledge is about knowing God, not just knowing him, about how that knowledge about God is working in your life. Now, if it is not working in your life, but you know it and you are just talking about it, but nobody can see what you know having any effect in your life, then you do not know what you are talking about. We have to internalize, as I always say, and allow our knowledge of God to influence our lives as we live it, you know, daily in this world. Verse 13, the the is talking about not moving out because there's a lion in the streets, and so it's not moving Now, it will make sense if truly there's a lion. But the point is, he's inside the house. How does he know that there's a lion outside? So the advice is, shake body. There's so much excuse for, for our inactivity. So much excuse. But, like the Lord has explained to us in, in our teachings, if there's one of you who is able to utilize the word of God that we have been teaching, that person did so much for the Lord. The Lord will consider it when judging our actions, because our every action will be judged. Do you have an excuse? You heard the same thing. You were in the same room. And... One person took the message and ran with it. You took the message and put under your pillow. Let's be wise. Verse fourteen. The mouth of strange women is a deep pit. He that is aboard of the Lord shall fall therein. This deals with more than sexual temptation. It depicts consequences of departing from fellowship with god being cut off from the presence of god i don't know how many will last being cut off from the presence of god we should be very mindful of this please anything that removes restraints from human life incurs god's wrath is an abomination thank you so much for listening god bless you
0: We believe you've been blessed by listening to this episode of Time Out With The Lord with Dr. Mrs. Senye O.B. Lulu Briggs. You can join our daily meetings on Zoom and Skype by logging on to our website at www.timeoutwiththelord.com For daily messages and encouragement, you can also add us on WhatsApp with the number plus 669 For more information, please call 84 or 084-554-430 We invite you to worship with us on Sundays by 10 a.m. at the Chapel of God International Worship Center at number 22 Forces Avenue, OGRA, Potakot, Nigeria Remember, you are God's most beloved.